So maybe we should start from the moment that I left you, if that's okay. Mm. I mean, you don't have to tell me everything, but the last time, so before you were making a teepee, which is now standing, you were in the process of making it, mm-hmm. and the eagle is here. I photographed you in the tree hammock, um, which is your own design, and you're going to patent. What is, what's, what's happened since then up until now, please? So since then, I uh, I managed to set up the teepee and I started to build a second floor in it and I was going to 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 live in it, and then this whole pandemic started, and I met a girl on the market, which uh, stayed at my place at our place here because uh, it was either yeah I'm not going to see her anymore or she's going to stay with us in lockdown, and then this girl got pregnant, so then uh, life changed around it a bit. And uh, I decided to go with her to Holland because she is Dutch and she wanted to go to Holland to have the baby. And I decided to go with and leave the project for now in Portugal. And uh, so started a new one in Holland, which was a yurt. I built a floor for a yurt and and a roof with some nice openable windows. And we managed to find a place that's quite 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 much in the nature and and an old farm which is like a camping farm. But unfortunately, things didn't really work out between me and, and, and the, the mother of my child. Sorry, this isn't Ego. This is a, a, a woman called Jamie. Yes, this is a, another woman called Jamie. Ega um, went to uh, Brazil, and she's working on a lovely uh, uh, natural building and uh, uh, bioarchitecture uh, project. I still have a lot of contact with Ega. And so, yes, I went to Holland, uh, which was a strange thing to do because I really didn't want to go back to Holland. I had decided I would never want to go back there. Um, but it was interesting because, you know, it, if you if you have to and you make that decision, you have to stand behind it and then new doors open. You see what it, what it's also beneficial for you and how you can see the place in a different way and how you can find a way of living that is working out for you still in the country that doesn't feel like home. So we did that and so it didn't work out to, to really be together with the mother so I, I decided to that I needed to have a new place again so she stayed with the yurt and in the same land I uh, placed a truck which I managed to buy in Holland and actually in this truck I was be able to do a big dream that I had for a long time because I had the dream of having a mobile home, which was enough that I could have also my tools in it and everything so that I could create and build on location and get inspired and travel around. And at the same time that it was feeling like that was an impossible dream since I was going to have a son now, um, at the same time it just happened because I needed a place and the truck came and it was a cheap one and it was beautiful and so... I started that project uh, in the same time that my son was born and now I have a beautiful son and I have a, a house in a truck which was a dream and it also became really really nice and uh, I have all the facilities you need in the, in the truck with electricity and all the power tools, machinery and... and uh, you have a workshop in the yeah, back of your truck here. Yeah, the workshop, yeah. And this facilitates you to do what? It, it, I have all the tools I need to build with wood and also some with metal and I have m- mechanical equipment. So, yeah, most, most things I would like to create or, or, or fix or do that I can do from here. And, yeah, that's... So you're now a traveling designer, but yes. you're going to spend some more time in Portugal here. Yeah, so I've been traveling after the whole journey of becoming a father and finding a way to uh, to be in a good place with the mother we yeah we managed this and i and i felt free to 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 go for some time for myself which was very very much uh, which i really needed for some reflection and to to see where where am i going now and what's what's happening in my life so so that was really great that that she could uh, also give me this freedom and that she could be okay with being the mother alone and that I would go uh, on my journey for a bit. So, um, Jamie gave birth to your son 
and then what happened after that, please? So after that, I uh, I spent some time with them in Holland, a few months, finishing my truck and uh, getting used to this new phase of being a father and still trying to find a way with her, separate but together, because we decided we do want to grow, uh, be, be both the par- parents present for, for him and try to find a way to, to do that together, but separately. And so that took some time, and um, then when that all settled and I managed to finish my place, um, she gave me the freedom to go for what I needed, and is to go on this journey east. And I felt also that it was okay, because we were really okay. And so I went, and um, I've been traveling for four and a half months, visiting many projects and for, and people and helping and, and building some things like a sauna or a compost toilet or things like this, more practical, but with, of course, a nice touch. And yeah, the whole development as an artist and my own creative process and projects, I, I, I had to set aside for a bit, for roughly a year. And now I'm finally back to the place where I met you a little more than a year ago. Yes, so now here with the with my truck. And luckily, the mother of my child wanted to come back to Portugal. And she, she has also arrived by now. And uh, we're all stay, staying at our uh, family uh, place. And uh, yeah, that's the beginning of, of, of the new phase. Well, the TP is still standing from what you made before, and what do, what are your plans for it now? I'm not sure about it. I I might now still use it as a atelier to work in it, but I don't really need it because I have the the van, and when I'm really building something, I build outside in open space, and when it's for creating and designing on paper, it's it's inside in my truck I have it all so I don't know what's going to happen with the TP we might pr- take it down to preserve it and uh, because nobody's living in it nothing's happening in it and then see for the future and you're a designer so what are you planning for the future do you have any ideas you said you might go to a festival and design something for there exactly so I like festivals because it's a good playground and people are very open to experiment they're very open to try out new things and it's a, it's a great playground to try out things and so boom festival next year it has been postponed since many like since the whole situation um and now i'm speaking with the organizers there and actually i'm thinking of creating a a more elaborate version of this this uh, tree uh, project that the the hammock the polypore humanus how i called it and uh, I will make a few different versions of that and some interactive installations. And this will be, I think, the next project and uh, the kickoff again to starting to do these kind of things again. Yeah. While you were at college, you told me you designed a glass sphere for somebody to use as an office space and design from. So it'd sit in it in the water and it would move around with the wind mm-hmm. and also it'd always turn towards the sun, I think. It turns with the wind and it moves with the water, how the water, if either it's still or not, because it's not tied down. And yes, it was, it was, a, it was not really a sphere. It was more a little bit fish-shaped, kind of organically shaped pod, halfly above water, half underwater. And yes, it was about uh, being aware of your surrounding in 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 many levels all many aspects of the including the temperature the the roughness or the smoothness of or and so it was an atelier for designers architects artists and just to to have a space that that when you're in this creative process when you are creating designing that you're constantly aware of this this natural surrounding, this world that we have, that we live on. Uh, not to get to this point again where we create a, a separate world on a world that already exists. Yes. And you also said that you created uh, a bicycle for many people to pedal. Each person had a different role in it. Yes. <laughs> that was funny. That was a, 
a functional uh, sculpture, so it could work, but it's more a, a reflection on uh, on daily life situation. So I was living in Amsterdam, studying there, and I saw all these people going all in the same direction in uh, rush hours and such on bicycles, and everybody is so in their own world, and I missed this this togetherness and uh, this life like I would have in Portugal more in a village and that you do things together and stuff so I created this bike uh, motivating doing things together like so many people are doing the same thing or going the same direction and why couldn't we why not do that together then or why don't make it playful so this bicycle was a, a mesh of people intertwined and which each person had a role one was steering and the other one was t using the brakes but this person was looking backwards and then there was one pedaling for the lights uh, yeah and so and so it became something funny and social and uh, it's just a reflection on how many things that we do uh, all together uh, many things that we do uh, i forgot the word uh, in a big scale that's that we could do them together and not all in our own uh, worlds and not also individual so togetherness, working with other people, being social is a big aspect of your work? Yes. Yes, because for me, the way to live is together. You can create so much more together. You can do much more together for each other, for the whole, and it's uh, the life becomes easier in my perspective. And uh, it's not about it becoming easier, but it's more beco about becoming more enjoyable as well sharing the load and being there with each other, knowing, getting to know each other, being aware of each other. So for me it's always about this connecting people and letting to do, them to do something together, to get creative or to get close or to climb into something and or uh, to, to make them aware of, of, of the, the space that they ha have around them, so to create something that can motivate somebody to just stay in a place and observe it's yeah for me it's it's very important to become aware of your surrounding people and environment and so that's uh, it's important that we should take care of that and on your journey recently for four and a half months were you thinking of design ideas on the road did anything occur to you that you might build in the future yes i had many ideas but uh they're ideas and and they keep on coming and going so yeah, I cannot even uh, tell you about one of them now. Okay. But uh, it's yeah, I have this kind of mind that, that keeps up coming up with ideas. So I'm really excited about starting again. You know, it's been it's been a year now of of bit of struggle, finding the way, trying to to still do what I wanted to do for myself, but then also trying to be there for a new life and having to 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 find a balance between all that. And I'm so excited about starting again to create for the people. And, uh, yeah, that, that's going to be my next phase now. And you mentioned the Passana in the past. You've done this more than once. And how has this helped you? Yes, I did another Vipassana course in the mountains in Romania. And uh, it helps me a lot to become aware of what's happening inside me. So to... to to become aware of the little changes in my body, reactions to to the situations that I encounter or the, the interactions I have with people, and to become aware of, of of how it's how your body reacts and how I'm how that influences me. I can make the decisions more clearly. For oh yeah, that's something that not that's not so interesting for me, or that's that I don't find so important, or this I don't like so much, or this I really like. And also not to get lost in peaks, living in, in, in big peaks of, of getting super excited about something or using all my energy in something, but being aware, okay, how much energy do I have and where is it going? And yeah, so I, it's, it's, it's also connected to the same thing that for me is important in art. I become more aware of my surrounding, of the people and more conscious. Yeah, by being in contact with my body, with, by really being in contact with myself learning to observe, learning not to react and uh, yeah, this way becoming more and more sensitive and aware of, of these sensitive moments. 
Why did you choose Romania to go to out of all the countries in Europe? I've traveled uh, quite a lot between Holland and Portugal, and I've seen a bit of Germany and stuff, but um, for me, I wanted to go to wild. I missed the wild, especially after being in Holland again. And I wanted to see these forests that I heard about, the lush forests, and uh, I had never been east as well. And it it speaks more to me, this, this, this feeling of east and uh, less developed countries, because there I find people that are more connected to, to their environment. And there I find people that are living more simply, but for me, they're living much more fully. Because, yeah, they're really in contact with with each other, with the things around, because they need each other more. And it's not about all these uh, other extra super interesting things that we all try to make and, and, and uh, achieve. That's, that's all, all luxury stuff. Yeah. So is there anything that you would like to say that I haven't asked you that you feel is important to add for the listener? I need to think about that for a moment. Yes.
The uh, yeah, we have a situation here in uh, in uh, in El Rio de Aguas, which occurred in 2014. Remember, in my earlier interview, <clears throat> we were talking about the shaman of Ecuador and how it became involved in in the protection of the Shua national territories. Uh, and in that was in 2012. In it was 2013, maybe even in 2012. I was uh, I was in Ecuador, and it was at that time that I attended the. Was it that time? It's amazing how time flies. Excuse me for being a little vague here, uh, but anyway, the 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 story is that I was invited to. I'd been to Australia. I was talking about the Mirador mine at an event in Australia. This is my first speaking event. I was a little nervous about it, but I thought, well, let, let, let's go. And so I flew out to Australia, luckily enough money in my pocket. And without money in the pocket, it's very hard to, to, to move uh, situations as, as environmental situations. The most expensive thing is really travel. So anyway, good, I could travel to Australia. And I joined a conference in Australia, uh, Australian Earth Wild Earth Law. Uh, wonderful um, reception. Uh, it was in Brisbane. And I talked about uh, society's role in the protection of fragile ecosystems. And I gave an update on what was happening at the Mirador Mine in, in Ecuador. When I was out there, I was staying in a hotel with a lady called Natty Green, purely by chance. Uh, and I would have breakfast every morning with Natty, and she was the convener of the Global Alliance for the Rights of Nature, uh, representing the Global Alliance e in Australia. We, we really, well, we liked each other. We had, we had good fun together. And she said, David, would you, would you like to come to our summit conference uh, of the Global Alliance for the Rights of Nature in Quito next year? So I said, well, Natty, if you think I've some, some service or, you know, uh, uh, some kind of... You know, if I have a value for everybody, then yeah, please invite me. So I, I was invited, and that that was in 20, 2013 or twenty fourteen. Uh, at that summit conference, I met a lady called Mumta Ito, who was putting together a citizens' initiative to bring rights of nature into the Lisbon Treaty, which is the formation treaty of the European Union. And so I said, uh, "Hey, well, Mumta, okay." And she said, "David, would you like to?" Uh, take on yourself to uh, work with this this uh, citizens initiative and get work together to bring one million votes over seven countries of the European Union. So I thought, okay, this is a good challenge. Yeah, let's uh, let's let's get into this. And so this twenty twenty say thirteen fourteen, and so working on this for about eighteen months, bringing getting into very good communication with people all over Europe involved in the environmental movement, uh, of course, especially with the rights of nature, with lawyers. Right, we wrote a draft um, proposal for the, uh, for the European Union. And, and then in 2014, the river here in El Rio de Aguas suddenly started losing its water at really rather high speed. I wrote to um, Professor Maria Calafor of University of Almeria and Group Ecologists Mediterranean, uh, 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 Ecologists in Action, uh, informing of the situation. And then in, in June 2014, Jose Maria Calafora um, made a TV broadcast on Canal Sur uh, referring to superintensive olive trees being built over the aquifer which supplies our river and supplies this unique ecosystem, uh, outlining the fact that these olive trees were destroying the water supply, were, were minimizing, depleting is a better word than destroying the, the water supply here. Um, then I realized that with my contacts, I was going to be the one who was going to be able to put this onto the international stage and so I said to Mumta, I said, Mumta, really, I've got to look after my own home uh, and, and therefore I'm going to leave you. You need to find someone else to take over my position here because if I don't look after my own home, then I'm not going to feel comfortable uh, because this is my home, my people, it's where I live. And so I was then able to immediately access the End Ecoside network and I, uh, I 
met with Polly Higgins and then over in St- I went over to Stroud and uh, on a World Cafe broadcast uh, along with a, along with another situation on the planet I was able to put this situation here this eco side of El Rio de Aguas out to the world um, we set up a Facebook account I got 25 28,000 followers on that one uh, I used this as a as 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 a base here because here in a, in the southeastern area of Spain, we're still somewhat in the Wild West. Uh, we have very wealthy people who own property, businesses, land. And we who live here, especially the local people, we are like the indigenous people, like the indigenous tribes of Ecuador, where we have no economic clout. And therefore, it's okay to trash us and our lives to extract all the water and and then we're we're finished uh but i i'm um, i built all these contacts and so i was able to uh explain this situation we made uh, we made we made five or six documentaries the first one we made ourselves here with friends from england and i was interviewing local farmers and there's one jose lorente we interviewed and in the interview uh I say, well, Jose, it's money, you know, and he says, yep, it's money, and it's like, how much do you want, and shut your mouth, and like, and, and he did this in brilliant Spanish style. Um, part of my network also included the president of the Obje- uh, uh, Objective Science International, who runs the Geneva Forum in the United Nations in Geneva every year. So, uh, with... Um, with Thomas was his name. So, so with Thomas, then I get invited to, to join this Geneva Forum in the UN. Uh, and I present as rights of nature, why we need to have rights for nature. Okay. And so within this instance, uh, I extracted from our documentary, Jose Lorente, saying exactly how it is here and, and what we face here in terms of vested interest and money. Uh, which is resulting in the ecocide of our our environment and and our ecosystems. Um, it's been a very difficult uh, situation here, and is somewhat similar to the situation we face in Ecuador. Is that this situation is very small and very easy for population to hold. We talk about five thousand uh, hectares of land. We talk about 6 million olive trees on 5,000 hectares. We talk about an extraction of water, which is 400% over and above what is in the aquifer. And we talk about the aquifer going dry. And, and also part of my actions here, working again with the Global Alliance for the Rights of Nature, we brought a case to the International Tribunal on the Rights of Nature alongside uh, COP17, I think it was, in Bonn. And so I was able to, we called the case Almeria Waters. Um, I presented the case in the broad, in the broad overview, uh, 20 minutes. It's a luxury to have 20 minutes to talk in these situations. And then Ian Holborn, uh, who had been done a study of the flora and the fauna over an 18-month period, then presented the situation about the flora and fauna and the lack of management from the Medio Ambiente and the Junta de Andalusia and the ignorance about what is actually here. And then a lady called Sheila did the, uh, the effects that we have on the, uh, the, that is happening on, on the social life here, where we have in fact 8,000 people directly reliable on this aquifer. We have the boreholes drying, uh, we have depopulation, we have uh, the village of Gotcha, which used to have 100 people, now has uh, five or six people living in, the school is finished, we have a depopulation caused by lack of water. And in, in the more easy words, people say, well, desertification. But when that brings down into the effects on individual people's lives, people can no longer grow vegetables. They can no longer have their pig, their goat, their rabbits, their ducks, their chickens, their honeybees, because there's no water. And so these are the points which I brought to the International Tribunal. And the, 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 the judgment was... Bottom line, this is wrong. Well, of course, it is wrong with some nice words around that wrongness. 
from contacts in the UN. We got a brilliant lawyer called Cristina Alvarez Bacariso. Um, we formed a, a cultural association here called Ecosidio El Rio. Uh, myself as the president so that I can sign any legal forms. And with Cristina, we, sent, uh, we presented to the Junta de Andalusia uh, a claim of their negligence since 1998, beautifully written, again, 20, 30 pages, and we got a result. We got the Junta de Andalusia to write a 17-point plan for the restoration of the aquifer. Would they follow it? No, they haven't followed it. They really have not followed it. We have written letters, ask, you know, saying why not, which not, what's going on. The group ecologists Mediterranean have sent, ecologists in action have sent. We've received no reply and no reply. So none of us can afford to run legal cases against an administration which could keep us paying money, paying money, paying money and getting nowhere. So on this case, we're kind of stuck. Right now, again, as we're speaking right now, we have a new hydrological plan for, for, Andal uh, for Andalusia. The, the take on that plan by the president of Group Ecologists Mediterranean, uh, it's brilliantly written, and he explains why this new plan is ineffective uh, in reference to this over-exploitation of our aquifer. Um, we are still losing water. Uh, we are, to give the kind of more of an optimistic point, because it sounds a little pessimistic, what I've been saying on the more optimistic point, uh, we are living in an area of karst and yeso. And this immediate area, which is one of the supplies for the river, uh, recharges water very rapidly after a big rainstorm. Uh, it's because we have over... 1,200 to 1,500 cave entrances within a six-hectare area and underground caverns forming small aquifers, small hold, water-holding areas. And when it rains, big rain, we can have good flow in the river for five months. This year, we've had 370 litres per square metre, which is uh, the measure of rainfall. It's, it's 370, OK? Uh, last year, it was 250. The year before, 250. So this year we've had more rainfall. Uh, we've had a recharge of the of the immediate small aquifers surrounding us, and our water supply in El Rio Aguas is is better this year than it has been in previous years, despite the continuing extraction of water over the aquifer, and the drying up of of the land and the drying up of the supplies of water for Sorbas. Sorbas was out of water for a day, two or three days ago. Um, our supply, we're okay. We, we have water for washing and showering uh, from the river and washing up. Drinking water we take from, uh, from a spring in, in, in a village called Karyatith, a little higher up in the mountains, uh, because the water from the river here is very heavily mineralized uh, and is not good for our liver and kidneys, so it's better we get the fresh water. Okay, that was a little round there. Okay.